You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson, and leading solar industry veteran, Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring. Hello and welcome to Solar Insiders. This podcast is the first episode of the new year, 2018. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid. And joining me, as he normally does at this time, is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Giles, uh, welcome back. Happy New Year and happy everything. Well, look, happy everything to you too, and um, I'm glad you made it through summer with your um, your heads up, your your head up, sorry, your lights on, and your EV charge, presumably. Uh, look, I um, must admit, I had three weeks at home over Christmas, and you know, um, apart from relaxing a hell of a lot, I spent a whole lot of time messing around with home automation and an off-grid system in a, in our camper van, and uh, some automated lights, even some remote camera stuff. Um, we've got a remote EV charge controller going at home to test some of the new uh, the new tech that we've got coming out this year. So had a had a fantastic time. And, and in fact, talking about EVs, which I hope we'll come back to, um, <laughs> a funny story to keep myself entertained uh, during the break, I actually did some modeling, you know, little one ninth scale motorcycle modeling. And it, what really, the irony, apart from being a complete nerd of that, was that um sorry what, of, what's that what, what's a one ninth scale motorcycle is it like a really small motorcycle or are you just doing a little bit of the modeling it's it, no it's a one ninth scale of a motorcycle which is about i don't know 300 mil long um and it's got more parts in it than my electric motorbike <laughs> why <laughs> well because it's a replica so it had wiring looms and it had carburetors and it had all this superfluous stuff that I'm not used to dealing with. Luckily, it was a motor guzzi, so I knew it. But but it really, it struck me that even doing a model uh, of, uh, of a combustion-powered vehicle is infinitely more complex than EVs, but we'll come back to that later. Yeah, look, um, my, my major claim to fame in the solar-powered industry, apart from having my solar panels on my roof and, um, and the Enphase storage in the garage, was I did go on a camping trip and did use one solar power light to get me through the evening. Um, oh. But, um, oh, that's very dramatic, isn't it? But um, <laughs> your off-grid caravan sounds like the next step forward. Yeah, look, the, the camper van's great. It's an old uh, Volkswagen diesel camper that we've had for ages, and uh, I've, I've progressively upgraded it. In fact, I've got one of the very few uh, LG bifacial 340-watt panels in the country powering the fridge. Uh, and the lights and everything else, and um, so you know it was time to do some maintenance. But um, yeah, keeping the fridge running so there's cold beer at the end of a day of surfing, no matter where you are, it's critical, Charles. Yeah, that's not bad. There's a couple of people from a couple of camping spots um, up from us. Um, we were up at um, oh, where were we? Gibraltar National Park. It was fantastic, and they had some solar panels and cold beer in the fridge, and we were very envious. May I tell you? <laughs> Look, on the subject of EVs, we're supposed to be talking about solar, but I kind of solar and EVs are coming to be part of the same conversation. Um, Aren't they? Yeah, they are. They are. But look, I've got to say, um, we're kind of used to this pushback against all things renewables and solar and storage and wind energy and things like that. But it was a bit of a shock to wake up in 2018 and to find that the conversation had gone against electric vehicles. What's going on? Well, that's what I want to know. What's wrong with Craig Kelly? He seems like an intelligent 
you know, guy. He's got. He's, well, he's the member. He's he's the he's the member for Monero, and he's um from the coalition government, and he's the chair of the backbench committee on environment and energy. Right. But he seems to have a set against new technology. I he mean, it sure does. Yeah, it, it was an extraordinary rant, just sort of talking about you know um, EVs. Um, not being emissions friendly and not even being cost friendly and about this sort of subsidy from some bloke with a Toyota Corolla out in the yeah. western suburbs, yeah. subsidising some rich bloke with a Tesla in the eastern suburbs, but not to mention the fact that probably people on better incomes are more able to afford a, um, a more efficient vehicle than probably the people in lower incomes. So, you know, he, didn't, he doesn't seem to mind that subsidy. It, it, was, it was a be bewildering rant. I, I actually was riding on my electric bike listening to, through my Bluetooth headset, headset listening to Radio National and heard the whole interview and nearly choked on, uh, on my, uh, in my helmet. It was just bizarre. For reference, Giles, I actually, I, I went, what what is this guy on about? And did a whole bunch of calculations. I actually went to the green vehicle guide and downloaded the tools and did a whole heap of thing things to to just give it some context in my own situation. So I did the numbers, and here, here you go. Here's what I've experienced, Craig Kelly, in forty five thousand kilometres. So. I previously had a petrol-powered motorbike. Uh, I know exactly how much it costs to run, how much the fuel consumption is, and so forth. I've done 45,000 kilometres on my Zero, my electric motorcycle. Uh, during that time, I've calculated that I would have, uh, I have saved 5,776 dollars. That's that's net savings that I've got in my pocket just in the fuel cost. Right, just in the fuel cost, I I I would have spent you know almost seven thousand bucks in total, um, if I subtract what it theoretically would have cost to charge my electric bike to do that forty five thousand k's instead of about seven thousand bucks, it cost me about seven hundred, so more than a ninety percent saving just in the fuel costs. They're you know in rough terms uh, uh, equivalent vehicles. Um, you know, the emissions, if I was using coal-fired power, which I'm not, I exclusively use either green power or solar off my own system, I would have, if I was using coal-fired power, according to the Green Vehicle Guide calculator, I would have emitted 2,250 kilos of CO2 equivalent to do that 45,000 k's on my electric bike. On my petrol bike, I would have emitted almost 10,000 kilos of CO2 over the time. So I don't know what planet Craig Kelly lives on, but he is so out of touch with what's really going on. And all you have to do is look around the world and you hear stories of people with EVs going, I save money. I want yes. one of these. Yeah, well, look, I'm pretty I rather... simple. I rather fancy the planet that he does live on is um, called um, Planet Ideology, and it's got a little moon going around it called Vested Interests, and um, <laughs> and um, it's in a whole different solar system, but it seems to have a big impact on um, on policy. And I cannot forget a remark that Josh Frydenberg, the energy minister, made, and he's been one of these people who's been floating this idea of let's finally get our act together on vehicle emissions and, and, and maybe electric vehicles in Australia. Right, because that's, that's the big one that's rising now, right? Well, that that's is the big the one, one that's rising. growing. But he said this at the Energy Efficiency um, Conference last, um, last um, November in Melbourne, and he was asked about this, and he said, you saw the reaction in the Telemura, the Murdoch tabloids, and they sort of painted the whole thing as a carbon tax. He said, we can't go there. And it just shows just what these complete nut jobs, the influence that these complete nut jobs have over policy. 
But anyway. Yeah. yeah. No. I, mean, I, I look forward to this year, though, Giles, because, I mean, the number of calls we have had from people who are working on electric vehicle charging infrastructure projects, electric vehicle charging stations, creating the infrastructure to allow the 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 inevitable rush of electric vehicles that are going to come yeah this year is going to be a really interesting one for evs i suspect well actually this week nissan leaf um or nissan sorry have just confirmed that they are going to release nissan leaf in australia so that's i mean you know it was, there was some doubt about it but it's coming sometime after july which is a very welcome news now i'm Excellent. going to let you get a quick plug in here because you seem to mention something about an ev charging app or something that you're doing with solar analytics is that is that or is that, did, like you, did you mean no? No, I, okay. I, no, that no, one. <laughs> what no. What I'll tell you, what I'll tell you is, um, along with our, uh, along with our hardware partners, um, we're preparing to launch uh, a new version of our monitoring device, which allows us to also remotely control the loads. So what that. Yeah, it's pretty self-explanatory. Um, I'm a guinea pig, so what we've been able to do is to set that device up in my switchboard. I can monitor what's going through um, the circuits that I'm measuring, but now I can also remotely switch them on and off. So that has quite massive ramifications for part of the infrastructure issue that we're talking about with, um, with electric vehicles, because in a lot of cases, the charging outlets that are required are in public areas so that energy needs to be publicly accessible it needs to be safe it needs to be somewhere that's really really easy to access 24 7 but there's risks associated with that right so what we're uh, playing with at the moment and we're on uh, prototype number three is a little charge cubicle that allows us to a measure how much energy is being used for electric vehicles charging secondly to be able to remotely uh, switch that on and off or, or enable a customer to get in and request access to it so they can charge and then switch it off when they're done so it's all nice and safe. So yeah, just one of the myriad of applications that we see for the load control device that we'll be launching shortly. Well, exciting stuff. Um, we actually better get on to talking about solar because this is a solar podcast and um, <laughs> I'd just like to apologise to listeners if they can hear a panting noise in the background. It's actually my dog has just come into the room and made a formal application for dinner. <laughs> Um, so, um, so there might be a bit of noise happening there. Um, look, Let's talk um, about solar. Solar. Look, I guess the big news this week has been the virtual power plant in South Australia. Um, that's just linking solar and battery storage. Great and, story. Um, look, really interesting. So, fifty. Uh, this is an idea bought by Tesla. Um, is it? Yes, it is. It is was, it? Yes, it was part is of the. It? Ten, yes, it was part of the. Ten, is surprise, it? Surprise. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether it is actually. I, I don't, know, I don't know whether it is, actually. Uh, you know, battery providers who are talking about doing interesting things in South Australia, not just Tesla. Credit to them, but they've got the story, but I don't know whether they were necessarily the first people to suggest this. Well, maybe that's the case, but maybe they just had a better plan than the others and that's why they got selected to do it by the South Australian government. Or maybe mm -hmm. it just goes down to the bromance between Jay Wetherill and Elon Musk. Mm. After all, they did have the world's biggest lithium-ion battery at the Hornsdale Power Reserve. Yeah. And now we're going to get the world's biggest lithium-ion, uh, sorry, the, the world's biggest virtual power plant. So 50,000 houses, 5 it's kilowatts, awesome. yeah. 13 point, uh, a Tesla power wall. Now, what I do like about this project, now, you know, there's lots of questions about how it gets implemented and where mm -hmm. the benefits goes mm -hmm. and whether they should be paying 27 cents a kilowatt hour for their own rooftop solar and storage. It sounds pricey, but what I do like about this story 
is that it does take us down the road to where we know we're going, which is about distributed generation. And most importantly, it brings along the low income households. And in this particular case, the, uh, social ha the government owned social housing, because they have basically missed out. So they found a way to bring them along in this energy transition because they're in danger of being left behind. Indeed. Uh, look, I, it's a long time ago now, but uh, I, I did was involved on the fringes of some social housing stuff, and there's a desperate need there. And, um, you know, it's a difficult um, segment of the market to operate in, um, which I'm sure the guys from Tesla uh, know. Um, so, you know, I really wish them the most of uh, uh, the best of luck in, in actually deploying this and getting it rolling. And, you know, all power to the government, too, for picking um, the consumers who most need that help. Fabulous, fabulous. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it rolls out over time because remember it's over four years, so uh, it's quite possible that things will start slowly. But um, you know, Tesla have um, proven themselves to be very, very capable. So can't wait to see it rolling. Well, it's interesting because it gives us sort of like, you know, 50,000 um, installations over the next couple of years. Um, obviously, Tesla are a cornerstone in that market. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of works out um, um, and how, how that sort of boosts the overall market. Uh, indeed. And, and, you know, that, that brings me on to the next subject, which I want to touch on. Of course, we haven't even talked about the forecasts for this year, which are some, there's some very, very big numbers out there. But, you know, who's going to be installing this? Who's going to be supplying it? Who's going to be installing it? Is it going to be creating jobs for the local companies down there? There's some fantastic local companies, both suppliers, as you mentioned in one of your stories uh, in Tindo, uh, the only Australian-made panel. Uh, and there's a bunch of great people who've been in this industry, in many cases for decades, who are in that market, who know the industry really, really well. And so I really hope that the opportunities to provide employment for people in our industry who are worthy of that employment um, certainly flow through. Um, uh, so let's wait and see. Yeah, look, um, it's pretty interesting. The, um, they did talk about about 500 jobs being um, generated through this program. They did talk about local suppliers and local installers. So 50% uh, local supply for the panels mm -hmm. um, and for the installation. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes. I mean, Tinder is obviously best place in the, in the supply for the modules. But um, look, maybe somebody else comes up with an idea and does some local, local manufacturing or local you know, putting together of modules, is, which is what Tindo does. Yeah, or other componentry, who knows? There's a, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Of course, we were involved in the, uh, uh, the previous VPN a virtual uh, a trial that, that happened down there through AGL. Um, some of our uh, data analytics and software was involved in that project, so we've had some experience in it too and um, can't wait to see it get up. As you, as you rightly put out, this is really where we need to be. Um, it's, it's an awesome use of the technology. Good stuff. Now, look, tell me about the uh, forecast for 2018 in the solar market then. Um, where are we at? And, um, and do we have any forecasts of battery storage? Look, I haven't seen a revised battery storage forecast yet. Uh, there is no doubt at all that everyone's very, very excited and everyone's counting on it being the year. And I think um, the pricing um, is in about the right place now. It hasn't changed dramatically, but it's um, it's certainly getting close and there's been some great experience. There were thousands of systems installed last year. So, um, uh, but what what is interesting, so let's go back a step. Let's talk about the, the estimates for the industry. So I've seen a couple, um, they vary between two gigawatts this year and 3.2 gigawatts this year. And that depends on whether you're talking installed, commissioned, fired up or 
you know, not. Um, so for the time being, let's talk about two gigawatts. Last year, uh, it was almost 1.3. Um, and the big surge, so just to clarify, you're talking about rooftop and big solar. That's the whole kit and caboodle, correct? That's right. So, and the big difference is 2017 compared to 2018. Um, there's a huge surge in these large projects, the utility scale projects, uh, that are going to hit the market. And and I won't go into numbers, um, but suffice to say, that's where a lot of the growth is. Um, but Without a shadow of a doubt, there is a lot of enthusiasm and optimism from the small and medium rooftop sector, both residential and commercial, that there is an expectation there's going to be growth there as well. And I don't think anybody I'm talking to um, thinks it's going to do anything but grow. So for the first time in uh, many years, uh, we're expecting you know two consecutive years of growth if everything goes to according to plan this year. Now, that raises a really interesting conundrum because chatting to a lot of guys not only was everyone flat chat up until christmas not every not not uh, not only were a lot of people actually working through the christmas break to get projects deployed um but uh chatting with a few companies yesterday um in prep uh it's become clear that the lead times to get solar installed at the moment are often three months or more um, there is a huge backlog of orders and inquiries and firm sales that people have got on their books, not in all cases, but in many cases. So I think you know, the, the, sign, the signs are out there that things are running very, very hot. And if you want to get batteries installed, it gets even worse. Uh, I heard a story yesterday about someone who'd had three quotes and the shortest lead time he could get was six months for a battery install. Now, this is not new to us because when we had the boom in 2012, we also ran out of industry capacity. Uh, what happened was the market took off, everyone got really, really busy, everyone did what they could, but we simply could not install any faster. Uh, and it took time for the industry to catch up, to train new staff, to find them, to hire them, to get them ready to go and to get them up on the roofs uh, or in the, in the battery shed, as the case may be. And of course, installing batteries is a, a more complex job in many cases than simply installing some solar panels and an inverter. So it's a different skill set that's required. And, and uh, what I'm hearing from a lot of people is that the, the restriction on the growth in battery storage this year may well be down to having enough people who are actually able to do it. It's complicated, needs to be done carefully, needs to be done safely. And so it'll be really interesting to see how the industry ramps up. Look, indeed, it did it well. Um, sort of conversely, on the um, on the rooftop solar front, where you talk about sort of you know the delays. Um, well, look, we have actually been seeing some delays with utility scale solar in Queensland. There's been a big backlog has um, occurred with Ergon and PowerLink. Simply having the staff numbers to be able to deal with these new solar plants. And look, for those network operators, it's actually a totally new thing, so they're having to get their mind around it. And um, obviously, for the developers as well, they're faced with something new but what was really interesting was hearing from Neowin, the people actually own the Hornsdale wind farm and the Tesla power plant, the Tesla big battery, they're um, going to connect the Colliambly um, solar farm, they've just started construction less than a year actually after identifying the site and it'll be up in less than 12 months. Wow. That's extraordinary and it just goes to show the scale and the pace of the transformation that can actually occur. Um, that's right, uh, let alone rooftop, right? If we get a good run at this and we do have the, the arms and, and legs to actually get it out there, both, both solar and storage, 
we could be having a really interesting conversation this time next year about what's uh, what's happened, Giles. Look, indeed. And uh, look, one little anecdotal thing I heard the other day, just someone was telling me they just live not far from where I am in the Northern Rivers, you know, just outside of Mullumbimby going on to Main Arm. Mm -hmm. He put 6.8 kilowatts of solar on his roof. He got some sort of storage, but he was restricted in his... Ex no, he didn't get storage. He got 6.8 kilowatts of solar and he's got an export limit of 3 kilowatts. Wow. What's going on there? I hadn't heard of that for a long time. I just think um, either his installer hasn't done his homework or he's getting dudded or there's just a complete overload of solar on that particular line. Well, that's my suspicion. And we've seen that happen in certain areas in the past up in North Queensland on those really thin lines, uh, those really small cables out into some of, the, uh, some of the areas in North Queensland. There used to be a limit around three kilowatts. Um, and so it may be, uh, knowing that area, I suspect that that's probably what it is. It's a distribution network constriction. Um, I know there's a bit of solar up there already, so it may be that they're being ultra-conservative about, um, uh, about uh, what's going on. Although the irony, of course, in, in all of this, Giles, is although they might say, look, you might have six kilowatts, but we can't take that, uh, we can't take all of that, we're only going to take three. Uh, as, um, as I think it was AEMO who came out and noted, you can, you can trip down to Harvey Norman or Bunnings and buy a whopping great air conditioner with no restrictions at all and add far more demand to the network without any restriction at all uh, and no benefit to the network whatsoever. It was all personal benefit, whereas there is some network benefit that comes from solar. So I still do find it... Um, uh, still do find it... Um, uh, extraordinarily frustrated about export limits given that there are no restrictions on how much demand you can put on the network and I think that that still really needs to be addressed if they want to get this under control it was great Indeed. to hear it was great to hear it being talked about but there was no talk about action on air conditioning at this stage yeah one rule for one technology and one rule for another um, yeah. um, probably about as good a case for battery storage as I can think of but it might take mm. another beer down the pub to convince them of it <laughs> um, let's just have a look um, we'll sort of probably wrap up now Nigel but look um, anything major events happening in the next week or two um, on your calendar no, look, um, I, I think what we're trying to do, we've, we've been talking strategy and plans and getting ready to release a whole lot of new stuff uh, in our little uh, part of the world, um, which is really exciting for us. But um, interestingly, uh, I, I'm really intrigued to see where we're going to get to this year, whether we have a boom and a bust like we've seen in the past in this type of very, very heated up market. Um, what we've seen in the past is is solar businesses responding to this really feverish demand for PV and batteries. And of course, what they would naturally do is say, well, let's grow the business. Let's hire people. There are plenty of job ads out there. Um, and, and several things are already starting to become clear. One is that we're starting to see uh, indications that the cost of installation labour is going up. Uh, Supply is uh, supply is tight. So what do you do in a supply and demand market? You put your price up. So they should too. Uh, there's an opportunity to finally make a little bit more margin along the way. Um, so we may see some little increases in price along the way. We'll certainly see uh, undoubtedly uh, expansion in capacity in as many businesses who are who can do so to to cater to this demand and speed up. Um, they'll do that. But at the same time, what we're also seeing is lots of new entrants coming in. Um, 
plenty of, plenty of interest in the sector, plenty of businesses popping up. And so the risk that we're going to have is that although the pie is getting bigger this year and we expect it to be, you know, a substantial opportunity for the industry, if there are more people, uh, you know, uh, shuffling up to the table to get a bite of that pie, then the risk is if you expand, grow your staff, grow your overhead, invest a lot of money, but you don't manage to get more of the pie because there's more people trying to take a piece out of it, then we run into business trouble. And, and we've seen this happen before, going back uh, 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 five, six years ago when we had exactly this happen and it took a bunch of companies out. So um, um, we'll just have to wait and see how uh, demand really does pan out and, um, you know, there are plenty of clever business people out there who are going to be watching this very, very carefully. But I think the challenge that we're going to have is that I, I'd hate to think of, that we might get towards the end of the year and see a bunch of companies go bust because they've over-invested. Well, it sounds like the consumer might be a winner out of this. Could be. Could be. Yeah, there's, uh, there's um, supply and demand issues over in China with modules. Um, prices actually came down on cells, I saw, um, sort of uh, because there was excess supply through the downtime over, uh, over Christmas. Um, but it's expected they'll recover pretty quickly as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting bunch of variables all at play that are probably going to take three or six months to really settle down and work out where we're at. Well, good stuff. Look, Nigel, it's been great. We've got episode one out of the way. Um, lots more um, to come this year, and I really look forward to it because it's going to be an exciting year in solar. And um, and I think we'll probably sort of broaden our, broaden our discussions to battery storage and EVs as we have done today. So, look, um, thanks very much, mate, and thanks to um, Solar Analytics for um, sponsoring this podcast, and thanks to all the people tuning in. Yeah, thanks to the listeners. Look forward to speaking to you again next week, Joss. Good stuff. Thanks, Nigel, and thanks to you. Bye-bye. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. By navigating the changing energy landscape, Solar Analytics helps increase solar performance and saves money. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered and make the most of your home energy.